I'm Duncan McLeod, and this is the Tech Central podcast. Now, we're going to be talking banking next, and specifically how the so-called platform economy could benefit, and I imagine also challenge financial services institutions. And to do that, I'm joined by Jonathan Lamb, whose title is, and let me get this right, it's a it's a mouthful, Executive Platform Business Lead Wholesale Clients Digital at Standard Bank. Jonathan, welcome to you, and thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you very much, uh, Duncan. It's it's great to be here. Fantastic. Now, we're going to be talking about a new paper that Standard Bank has launched, I think, just in this last week on the platform economy. Um, but before we get into that, Jonathan, uh, tell me a bit about yourself. Have you always been in the financial services sector? What's your background? Yeah, so I've been in financial services uh, and, and its surrounds for about 20 years now in total. Standard Bank for 14, and, and, and my roles have always been in and around sort of um, product build, product management, channel management. So I started my life in, in IT uh, and then slowly moved into different roles and ended up in, in uh, more business-focused product roles. So mm-hmm. more recently, um, you know, with, with the changes or the, the, the shift in strategy that the bank's going through, we've set up a new team, a new, it's a couple of years old, but that's new in, in, uh, in our world, to focus on really building digital businesses um, within the wholesale client structure. And so that's where I find myself now in a very exciting role, and as you say, um, yeah. platform business uh, lead uh, for the wholesale client. So, so what, is your, what do your day-to-day responsibilities look like? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? So look, I mean, the core purpose of, of what we do is really to um, work out how we can better partner our big corporate clients on their digital journeys. So really, we, we're focusing on business-to-business solutioning. So my day-to-day is around making sure that we can harness the benefits and the constructs that sit within this new thing called uh, the platform business model. Um, I say new, again, you know, been around for a while, but perhaps newer on the continent uh, and not as well adopted uh, broadly yet. Um, And so we use this construct to better partner our corporate clients on their digital journey. Now, in that is a couple of subtleties. You know, part of what we've got to do and a big part of my role is to make sure we can find new non-traditional ways of helping our clients. So in addition to us enhancing our existing product sets, we need to look for ways to find new um, and, and perhaps non-financial related solutions to problems that we know sit on our corporate clients or corporate Africa's digital roadmaps. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Very, very interesting. I, I caught uh, some of what your CEO, Sim Shabalala, said at, uh, at the most recent results presentation. And he spoke about the platform economy and how Standard Bank's strategy is really shifting. And uh, I know that um, I, 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 in fact, spoke to one of your colleagues in the consumer space. His name is, of course, going to slip my mind right now. Uh, but um, he was talking about uh, how Standard Bank is really competing in the in the mass market, uh, in the unbanked segment, and where the bank is increasingly coming up against the likes of telcos and and other non-traditional competitors uh, in the African uh, context, which I thought was really interesting. And it was I thought it was really interesting to hear Standard Bank talking about going after those sort of markets now. But you talk about this big strategy shift at Standard Bank. And I know some Shabalala uh, alluded to quite a lot of that in the results presentation, but maybe for the benefit of those listening to the podcast, what, what is the strategy shift about exactly? And where is it taking the bank? So I think, you know, to put it into context, we've, we've had a future-ready um, strategy for, for a while now. And 
the way I would I would think about you know this this move towards becoming a platform organization, or in fact, as as our leadership talk about it, um, moving from becoming just a shop to owning a mall. Yeah. This is a, the next step in our future-ready journey, if you want. And really, what it now allows us to do is, is harness the existing assets that we have. And those assets are combinations of you know, our client franchise, our brand, um, the partnerships we've already got with fintech and big tech players, and really take the conversation with our client base to more than just traditional banking. Um, and I suppose it's it's a, in addition to just traditional banking. And that's really the exciting part of the journey is we can now, um, uh, w- with the backing of a big group strategy, really focus on new innovative ways of um, helping our clients. And you've mentioned some of the things like, um, you know, telcos, telcos are converging into our space. Uh, telcos are, are, are aggressively moving into um, financial services. Equally, our retailers and, and lots of industries are actually starting to blur their traditional lines. Um, and so, so we're going down that journey as well. Um, we're looking to, uh, you know, better and deeper partner the communities and, the, and the, the environments that we already have banking product into. Now, I know, I know you've, you've said your, your speciality is in the B2B space, but um, I'm, I'm quite keen to explore, maybe explore a little bit of the, the, the B2C side of things as well, because I know there is a lot of um, potential in that market, and that's where a lot of the early clashes that we're going to see between industries are going to, are going to take place. But let's, let's touch a little bit first on this report that uh, Standard Bank has put out. You're one of the you're a co-author of this report along with um, one or two of your colleagues and a gentleman by the name of Sanjeet Paul Chowdhury. I believe is regarded as a world-renowned expert on platform economy, on the plat- topic of the platform economy, rather. Um, firstly, why did Standard Bank author this report, and what was the purpose? Okay, um, I mean this this journey sort of started um, probably just over twenty-four months ago for for uh, my colleague Kent Murray and myself when we started to research the construct of the platform business model. Um, you know, we'd seen as much as everyone else uh, overseas around how businesses are starting to uh, generate returns and grow significantly faster, exponentially faster, in fact, than traditional businesses that have been around running a linear business model for many years. And so through this research, you know, we almost got that light bulb moment. Our intention was to understand the model and see how we could and if there was an opportunity to apply it to the work we do on the continent in our constructors looking after big corporate clients. Mm-hmm. But when the light bulb goes off, then sort of a passion ignites. And we really started to then become passionate around the possible opportunities that exist within what we do using this platform business construct. So we, we authored the paper. This is actually the second um, paper that we authored. We put the first one out last year. And hopefully it's not the last. We authored it for a couple of reasons. Firstly, uh, we wanted to to create a thought leadership paper to basically put out into the market our thoughts on what we'd seen in the transition of this model away from linear business models and its power that it can harness specifically on the continent. Um, that's that's the broad, you know, intention of what we wanted to do. It's thought leadership to go out to the market. Um, to to almost portray and try and get a few more light bulbs going off uh, in the minds of of corporate Africa, um, we partnered with Sangeet um, 
as a result of his deep industry expertise. I mean, he's authored a few books on the topic, and those books were the first ones we read. And his insight into how things have evolved overseas really helped us in in uh, constructing and overlaying the the Africa context on top of it. Um, yeah, so really that was the intention. It's thought leadership. It's to spark debates. It's to have conversations. It's to really um, embed in the minds of our clients, actually, who are also thinking, some of them about platform business models, that there's opportunities to partner. We're going down this path and when we'd like to talk. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I think um, in the consumer's mind and in my mind as well, it's 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 quite easy to understand this sort of clash of civilizations that's that's happening now, and, and big how big tech players are increasingly muscling in on the traditional financial services market. And you understand that from a consumer point of view, but from a business to business point of view, and you servicing corporate clients as a as a bank, um, it's not quite as clear in my mind as to what the impact of this platform economy is going to be on those relationships. Can you maybe unpack that in a little bit of detail about what it means exactly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you've you've hit the nail on the head. The B2B space is not clear and it's not obvious. And, and that's why people are not aggressively driving towards it on the continent. It's difficult. Um, two big organizations engaging with each other where one is supplying technology services to the other to embed in their business has a long buying cycle. It's got uh, different role players. The people who use the tech often aren't the decision makers. Um, There's a lot of governance to make sure it's going to work because we all know CIOs and chief digital officers and heads of innovation recognize that embedding technology into a big business, into core workflows, um, if you get it wrong, it can be twice, three times more expensive to pull it out than putting it in. So all of these things create this almost um, uh, perception that big business is slow to adopting innovation. And that we saw in the market, we've lived it ourselves, you know, having worked in big businesses. And so we've, we've, we think that there's actually an opportunity in that problem statement. Because if you think about the difference between a big tech, a digital native, coming into an environment where they've got to start building relationships to an asset and um, capability on the ground in markets that perhaps are not their core markets, Mm -hmm. that they're not yet present in or that they are entering into, it's quite difficult. And for big tech to win on the continent where we are at the moment in our maturity level, I think has got some challenges with it. Now, the flip side of that is, existing incumbent organizations. So established businesses like ourselves, like the telcos, like the insurers that operate on the continent, we've, we've through our traditional businesses, solved some big problems. We've set up operations in multiple countries. We've digitally enabled a large part of our value chain. We've had to continually evolve with the needs of customers with our traditional product sets. So we've actually got an incredible base to work off if we apply a platform business mindset. So our belief, and you'll see this come through in both papers quite aggressively, is actually the opportunity to win in the B2B space on the continent probably sits more with an incumbent who's looking to shift into a platform business structure than a digital native coming in and trying to build the communities and the relationships um, and the product set and data that we already sit on. So let's um, let's talk a bit about uh, the B two C space then as well, um, because I mean, there's a lot of activity happening there. And I know you specifically say in this report that the the implications for the financial services sector um, 
for certainly for financial services uh, companies and banks that don't adopt their strategies could be, I think the word you use is dire. Um, how, how big is the threat to legacy banks, if I can call them that, from the tech industry? And who are the real competitors going to be over the next next few years? I know we talk about um, we talk about the mobile operators, and we've seen a lot of success. And Hesa, for example, has been in in East Africa particularly, um, but there are also fintech challenges and social media companies as well that are entering the space. And we see WhatsApp, for example, not in not in the African context that I'm aware of yet, but uh, certainly in some markets like uh, Brazil and elsewhere. I think India as well. Um, they, they they are starting to pilot um, payment mobile payments in in these instant messaging services. Uh, as this evolves, how do you see the landscape uh, changing? How do you see the threats uh, uh, emerging for, 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 for banks like Standard Bank? And how do you adapt for, to this changing landscape as, as, as we go forward? Yeah, I think, you know, the end consumer is, is, is always the target, um, usually B2B to C or, or direct B2C. So sure. what's, happened, what's happened in the last sort of, I don't know, 24 to 36 months, and it's obviously been accelerated with with the pandemic that we now find ourselves in and the way that we've adapted, the way we engage with technology. But essentially, even before the pandemic, the the balance of power between um, be, has shifted to the consumer. You know, mm-hmm. consumers in our daily lives now expect a lot more. We don't expect to just be pushed product. We expect experiences. We want yeah. answers to the jobs we need to do, be that in our daily lives or be that in our professional lives. Um, so the power and the shift around personalization now sits with the consumer. Now that has also been coupled with the fact that the, the old vertical siloed approach to delivering product to the market that not just banks, but all financial services organizations have traditionally followed has been disrupted. And it's been disrupted by more agile, uh, less costly, more innovative players in the form of fintechs, regtechs, medtechs, and so on. And these entities have managed to do what we refer to in the paper is they've unbundled services that were historically quite tightly embedded in a vertical that the bank or the insurer chose to put into the market. Now, what that's done is it's created way more choice for the consumer, choice that brings with it simplicity. And so these unbundled products have started to hit the market, which are starting to disintermediate, disrupt traditional banking verticals. And that's been happening actually for many years and, again, has accelerated in the last 24 months. What's now happening, though, um, and this is where this this term of ecosystems comes into play. And B2C, again, incredibly important in, um, you know, ecosystem thinking is organizations have started to realize, and, and this is where, you know, as you said, if if you don't think about the world in, in a different way, you will face dire consequences as any organization, specifically financial services organizations. What, what you need to think about now is reshape how you think about your competition. Don't only think segments and sectors. Think in ecosystems or value change that you want to start um, disrupting in. And with that, you'll recognize that actually you need to start rebundling things back together from lots of choice into very well thought out journeys or customer experiences. And so that's where the the shift for the big businesses like the financial services company need to come because the consumer is not going to tolerate or stick with only the traditional way that they've engaged us in the past. 
It's interesting. Do you think that, I mean, there's this concept of bank assurance, which was all the rage, I can't remember, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Um, it may still be, I don't follow the financial services sector that closely, but it was this idea of creating these 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 big verticals and, 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 and putting all this insurance and financial services and banking all together in one entity. Are we kind of going, going to the opposite uh, extreme now? No, I actually think, you know, and, and the word vertical is the problem statement here. We need okay. to move from vertical thinking to horizontal offerings. Um, it's quite simple. So, you know, whether you've got all the capability under one umbrella or 10 umbrellas is actually not important anymore. Yeah. It's how you stitch them together so that yeah. you can actually create value propositions across a number of products. So maybe it's a piece of an insurance product, a piece of a transactional product, and maybe a completely unrelated last mile delivery product. And that's what's required to start okay. creating new opportunities for you as a big financial services player. And, and part of this, which, which is incredibly important and it's new, is platform businesses are two-sided. They look after consumers and you have to look after producers, partners. Entities sure. that you need to bring into your world in a partnership way to help you in achieving these new value propositions because it's impossible for you to do it on your own. Mm. So, Jonathan, um, a lot of the players we've seen coming into the space, um, particularly the big tech guys and, and certainly some of the, the nimbler uh, fintech startups we've seen coming into the space, um, don't have a lot of legacy to deal with. Um, often they're coming with the most advanced cloud solutions, in fact, uh, to deliver services to consumers. Banks, of course, are sitting on a lot of le historic legacy. And I know this is true of South African banks. I, I don't know if Standard Bank still has physical mainframes in its basement, um, but I know a lot of the banks here still do that um, uh, and, and, and then innovate on top of that and create almost layers on top of the, the legacy infrastructure to, to try and innovate. But is that is that going to hold back financial services institutions, legacy institutions, uh, particularly in this country? And, and um, how do you innovate when... Um, when you are sitting with uh, such a large legacy base in IT? Yeah, look, I mean, there's no doubt that um, banks, insurers, uh, many organizations that have been operating in the services space for many years have got legacy. Um, you know, it's, it's legacy as a result of just simply old technology, which is outdated. It's a legacy because of acquisitions that have happened over time and having to incorporate multiple businesses together. And, and it's there and it's it's going to be there for, for a while. So yeah. does it impact um, how you how you innovate on top? Theoretically, it, it could. But if you actually then think about it in another way. So all the capability that the big techs use, cloud capability, mm -hmm. big data, reservoir and lake processing with the ability to, to um, you know, bring multiple unstructured data sets together and start to draw insights and leverage on top of those, the banks and the insurers are adopting all of that capability. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's more important than, I suppose, worrying about the legacy, and it's not to say it's not a worry. It needs to be continually evolved and we need to move it to um, more up-to-date and the latest technology. But equally, we need to recognize that actually there's tools at our disposal now that will allow us to leverage what's in those legacy systems. I mean, essentially what we're sitting on yeah. is many, many decades of our clients' data. Yeah. And, and data we have on the market, data we have on the industry, data that we, that we have that perhaps uh, others don't have. And so the more important thing is to work out how we can use things 
like big data processing to leverage those assets and really the gold sits in the data that's inside them rather than the architecture and the infrastructure that they historically uh, used to run on. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know Standard Bank invested a significant amount of money in recent years uh, moving to a core banking system based on SAP. Um, has that helped uh, Standard Bank uh, prepare for this new world? Look, I think, you know, we made a number of, of, of investments um, in, in uh, moving from, from legacy platforms to, to more up-to-date uh, future-ready capabilities. And again, um, yes, it's starting to, to help us in the ability to leverage what's in those systems. I mean, have we, have we started to um, get everything right? Perhaps not yet. But the fact that we've made these big investments is definitely an advantage um, to the journey we're now going on. We've got a great base now to, to really build these new innovative um, opportunities on top of. So, so banks, um, people have put money in, in, into financial institutions historically because one of the principal reasons is because they trust the bank that they're going to put the money in there and maybe they'll earn some interest on it and it's not going to disappear. Um, we're seeing newfangled institutions like big tech companies and others coming into the space and and um, maybe not taking deposits yet, but certainly facilitating payment the payment process, et cetera, and that's going to evolve. Um, we're seeing... Um, millennials and Gen Zers, et cetera, whatever you want to call them, youngsters coming into the market who are quite comfortable using digital money and digital technologies to manage their money. Um, and they're used to brands like Samsung and Apple and and, and others. Um, and I've seen research that suggests that, that, uh, that this market segment, in fact, trusts these brands implicitly as well. Um, maybe just talk us through um, how the trust plays a role here and whether banks still have an, a, a fundamental advantage over over these over these new players um, from a trust perspective, do you think that uh, in the longer term uh, people are going to be still going to be more trusting of putting their money into a traditional bank than they are maybe entrusting their money to Apple? Look, I think Duncan, the key to to answering that that question is, um, you know, trust trust is something that banks have built up over many years for a number of reasons, as as you've pointed out. Um, we're heavily regulated. Um, we spend a lot of time making sure that we abide by the regulations and we comply. Um, the banking license that we hold is not an easy thing to get. Yeah. And so when you think about how perhaps some of these other organizations, um, big techs and others, are starting to converge themselves and, and offer financial services, they're, they're moving into a space that's financial services and probably a lot of them, and some of them have succeeded and others are trying, would love to get their hands on a banking license to mm. offer full spectrum banking product. Because at the moment, there's a bit of a, a scenario where there's some great offerings that are offered by non-bank institutions um, to our clients, fintechs, big techs, and so on. Um, yeah. but, but it's not the full suite of capability yet. And so the question is, um, which way around is it going to play out? Banks are starting to recognize this and are starting to go the other way. Looking at building solutions like we mentioned in the paper, a solution that we've launched into the market called Onaya, which yes. um, uses the simplicity of a mobile money type offering, but yeah. sitting on top of an underlying bank account. Now that's, you know, the question is, is it easier for the banks to move um, towards the big techs and the fintechs that are, that are yeah. playing in our yard or 
is it going to be easier for them to move the other way towards getting a banking license? And I don't know the answer to that. I do know that we are are very firm in, in, in the strategy that we're moving towards. And it and it's definitely going to look to um, recognizing that we can move quite aggressively towards making sure that we can serve our clients in more than just how we traditionally have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, interesting what you say there. I and mean, I wanted to ask about, about regulation. I mean, the financial services sector, banks, Regulation is 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 almost onerous. It's uh, I mean, there's a lot of regulation, and and, and the regulation is there for a good reason. Um, but you are seeing a lot of uh, these fintechs come up, and they don't have full service licenses like a standard bank does. Um, but they are able to to cherry pick and pick away at uh, at mm. certain services, and 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 are not as fully regulated. Do you think it's uh, do you think that's unfair? Do you think that um, maybe the the financial service sector regulators should be placing more emphasis on some of these upstarts and, and some of the big tech players coming to the space? I don't think it's unfair. I actually think that, to be honest, you know, the fact that we um, have abided by and continue to make sure that we comply and we spend um, an incredible amount of our resources ensuring that, you know, we work within the guidelines of our license. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually an advantage because others are not used to it. And yep. so, you know, we can we can move into a new world with with the comfort that we can do it ethically, we mm-hmm. can do it in a sustainable manner. We're not going to try and arbitrage the fact that there's differing views across different markets on data privacy. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that you know we abide by how we approach things, um, you know, knowing that we've come from a very regulated background. We're still showing up as standard bank here. And so I actually think that the fact that we're heavily regulated and the fact that we um, understand it and we move with it and we know it's Mm going to change. And as you say, for good reason, um, it's an advantage for us. I I can't, you know, comment on whether or not regulators should be looking at others. Um, That's up to them. But I think that we've got an advantage to build on top of the fact that we've already got that in our stable yes. and we continue to invest in it. Yeah. Do you think the, the regulatory environment hinders or helps innovation in financial services? So it's a great question. And I think it's it's it's, it's not an easy answer because, you know, if you look at the continents, um, there's very different levels of regulation that cover things like cloud and yeah. data privacy and protection of information. And those are the important pieces of legislation that, if you want to move into a platform-based business or even moving into a more innovative you know, um, uh, environment, you need to understand those regulations. Yep. And so some markets are very, very clear and mature in their thinking. And, and it's not about hindering. You've got to understand them and you've got to play within those, those guardrails. That's important. The problem becomes where they're unclear and where perhaps there's um, um, clarity missing in things like data privacy and the treatment of cloud storage and right. the, the consent around what you can use data for. That's what where I think there's, there's, there's potential risk because you don't want to enter into an environment where you can fall foul of something that isn't clear. Just lastly, Jonathan, um, if you were to look forward maybe five years from now, uh, how do you... What will how will Standard Bank have changed? How will your value proposition to your clients have changed? And what will be what? How will that be different to what it is you're doing right now? So look, I think 
there's two there's two things that are incredibly important to to understand about the journey we're going on and specifically within the wholesale client business. Firstly, our existing product set is our bread and butter and it needs yep. to be continually winning in its particular proposition in the market. We're going to continue to invest in our existing businesses. Those businesses are the reason why I think we've got the right to start entering into a platform-based conversation and starting to win in that conversation. So in five, three to five years' time, I see us being as good as we've always been, if not better, at our traditional business. It has to continue to grow, invest in the solutions behind them, but equally and alongside in sort of a balanced approach, an ambidextrous type approach. Right. We need to also have got some, some new platform-based um, businesses out into the market. And if I, if I stepped into our client's shoes in, in three to five years' time, I'd like our clients to be looking at us saying that I now see Standard Bank as serving me how they always have at a great, um, with a great quality and, and a world-class set of capability, but also helping me in non-traditional, non-financial services capability. Great discussion, Jonathan Lamb. Let me get your title right. You are Executive Platform Business Lead Wholesale Clients Digital at Standard Bank. Um, Jonathan, that was a great conversation. Thanks so much for sharing your insights with Tech Central today. Thank you very much for the uh, invitation to chat to you. Thanks, Duncan. Mm -hmm.